All right, everybody. Well, welcome back to the Well for Goodness Sake podcast. I'm your host, Joaquin Salida. And as you know by now, this is all about walking the 4A life. Welcome to this new series on 66 Days Through the Bible Books. It's an exciting, chronologically ordered Bible study, <laughs> starting with Exodus all the way to the book of Revelation. So today, we are finally back for the book of Exodus. I cannot tell you how many times I got on here and tried to start recording, <laughs> and my family has been so sick. So thank you for your patience. I think I originally had this idea where I would get on the podcast and do one book every week, one book of the Bible. Maybe not as practical as I thought with little people. (laughs) So we luckily had a guest speaker on the podcast and it turned into two episodes, which was not the plan. And it just really helped everybody out. (laughs) So we didn't have to miss. I do apologize for being late last week. There was no episode this past week. So that was a little bit odd for everybody. Trust me, I felt it. (laughs) But we're back today. And so we're going to dive into the book of Exodus. I'm so glad you're here. Be sure to stay tuned for the show notes at the end. There's some great stuff there. I will talk about that at the end of the episode. Welcome back, everybody. All right, so today on 66 Days Through the Bible Books, we're headed deep into the book of Exodus, which is named for the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. What's interesting is that Genesis ends with all of Jacob's descendants moving out of Canaan and into Egypt by the hand of Joseph, who was the ruler over all of Egypt under that Pharaoh at the time. Next, we see the death of Jacob and then his burial where Joseph is granted leave by Pharaoh to fulfill his promise to his father and bury him where he wanted to be buried. Then eventually Joseph's death as well. The interesting part here is that there is another power shift and a new Pharaoh has taken the throne, leaving God's people once again in need of redemption as we enter the book of Exodus. So we leave Genesis with the family kind of passing away. Exodus begins 400 years later. We've come full circle. There's a new Pharaoh, an evil Pharaoh, and I'm excited to get into that book with you today. There's so much. It's broken into two parts and there's just so many details, but it really does lay the foundation for the rest of the Old Testament, just as Genesis lays the foundation for the entire Bible. And this first part of Exodus, we are covering Moses leading God's people out of Pharaoh's hand, out of Egypt and redeeming them through the blood of the Passover. And in the second half, we have Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the, the law, the Ten Commandments and then the blueprint for the tabernacle and all of the beautiful details there. But what we really see that's kind of hidden is God's compassion, God's faithfulness, God's love. So I'm really excited to get into this book. It's been incredible. I definitely had more time than I I did going through the book of Genesis. So yes, I cheated a little bit. I got a little bit more time, several weeks. It was great to have that much time to study. And I'm just as excited to begin Leviticus on the next episode of 66 Days. But I want to begin by opening with a word of prayer as we break into the topic and just briefly talk about the Bible. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this time to sit before you and open the book of Exodus, open the studying that I've been doing to bring it to friends and family and loved ones, all people that you love, all people that you have great love and compassion for, all people that you are faithful to. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for your hand in our life. Thank you so much for your availability and thank you that you're 
the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We just praise you for that. So as we dive into the book of Exodus, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. Help us to understand what you're speaking about and what these powerful people that you use throughout history to lay a foundation for all generations to come. Thank you for your chosen people. Thank you for your will and your way for your purpose and your plan, even when we don't understand. (laughs) There's so many times when we just don't get it, but I thank you for your will because nothing changes about you, God. You're the same. Thank you for that faithfulness. I pray that you'll just bless this time together in Jesus' name, and it's all because of him. Amen. So as we learned last week, the Bible is this incredible piece of history, right? It's got historical, theological, profound information. It's a literary work that has been preserved and protected. We've got 66 books, which is the whole reason for the title, and they do work together and blend together seamlessly so that we are able to discover truth about God and all of his creation. It's just incredible what he has done throughout the entire universe, his creation from heaven to earth. Everything that God has put together was infinitely designed by his hand and his alone. And no matter how much humans try to complicate and create autonomy for ourselves and decide what we think is good and evil, it's always been there from the beginning of time what was good and what was okay and what was not. So the Old Testament is just a quick recap. It's a redemptive history that lays the foundation for the new, right? So revelation in the Old Testament is revealed later in the New Testament. And just like we talked about last time on 66 Days, the Old Testament points ahead to the future and New Testament points back to central events and all of the history of the Messiah, which is that messianic prophetic word that you get when you're studying. Bible languages, um, we've talked about that. It began with Aramaic and then we get Hebrew and Greek. And there's a lot of tools that you can use to study that. We've used a lot of the Hebrew and especially the Greek today. Um, The Greek translation of the Old Testament is divided into four sections or divisions that we use today. We've got five books of law, 12 books of history, five poetry, and 17 books of prophecy. So today in Exodus, we are going into the second book of the Torah or Pentateuch. We began last week with the first five books of the Bible. And this time we're hitting the second book of the Pentateuch, which is Torah is Hebrew for law and Penta is Greek for five. Tukos is Greek for scroll or book. And there's a lot of people that believe that there's some scholars that think that the book of Moses or the book of the law, these five books of the law, they think that Exodus was very possibly and probably written by Moses and that he could have written it at any point during his 40 years in the desert. It would have been very easy to pull out manuscripts and books and start jotting some things down. So there's a lot of people that think that, but for our purposes of studying, Exodus is the second book of the Pentateuch or book of the law or law of Moses. Each time we do 66 days, I've promised a new episode during this 66 day or 66 week process. And as you've found out very quickly, I am unable to produce an episode on 66 days every single week. There might be some podcast episodes in between, but you have been promised some key facts and general timelines as well as fundamental truths from God's word. We will have a focal point and at least two key verses and then a short reading from Jennifer Rothschild's book, 66 Ways God Loves Me, where we will also take one truth about God's love from her book. And then we go one step further, breaking down the entire chapter into key elements of importance as much as I can, you know, do for you guys, (laughs) as much as I'm able to fit in here. Um, So I want to begin by reading from JR's book, 66 Ways God Loves Me. We're going to read this quick, short little chapter. And the key verse that we're pulling from her book is Exodus 13, 3, which is, then Moses said to the people, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand, nothing leavened may be eaten. The most important part that we're focusing on is the earlier part of the verse. (laughs) We're not going to focus on the last part about eating the leavened bread. The one truth that we're pulling from her book is God delivers me 
me from slavery, which is right here on page 13. God delivers me from slavery in Exodus. All right, so let's begin the chapter. Here's what JR says. For more than 400 years, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were stuck, mistreated, and without rights. Yet they were still God's people. He had not forgotten his beloved. Suddenly, in flames of love and fury, God spoke through a burning bush. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out, so I have come down to rescue them. That's Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 through 8. The Israelites wondered for centuries if God really loved them. And one day, his love set a bush ablaze before Moses' eyes. And God's love set about rescuing his people. When the people were were finally free, Moses saying, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed in your strength. You will guide them to your holy dwelling. Chapter 15, verse 13. Just as God delivered his people from the slavery of Egypt, he delivers you from whatever you are powerless to rescue yourself from because he has set his love upon you. That's from Deuteronomy 7, 7, King James Version. He sets you free from the slavery of sin, insecurity, fear, and despair. He frees you to trust and follow him into all the promises he has for you. Just as he said, the cry of the Israelites has has reached me and I have seen the way Egyptians are oppressing them. Exodus 3 9. Your cry for freedom has reached his heart too. He loves you and he sees what you are going through. He knows what oppresses you, what depresses you, and from what you long to gain your freedom. God's love rescues you. You can break the chains that keep you stuck in your Egypt. Ask God to set you free today. You can trust his mighty loving hand to keep rescuing you and setting you free. Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Chapter Chapter 13, verse 3. So that is the verse that we're pulling on God's redemption from slavery, Exodus 13, 3. Remember this day. And the truth from JR's book is God delivers me from slavery. And just as she says, God does continue to deliver us from slavery and from our, quote her book, Egypt, from our Egypt. So I just love that because I have definitely seen God's hand in my life. I definitely feel that and I believe with all my heart that he continues to rescue us, that he is unchanging. And even though our circumstances circumstances change. Even though there's so many things that are going on in the world around us right now, I believe with all of my heart and soul that God's word is true. God delivers us from slavery. And often we enslave ourselves, don't we? We turn our backs on God. We walk away. We're the ones that change. We're the ones that allow things in our lives or our minds or hearts to become different. We're not in control of all circumstances, but we definitely make choices, right? He gave us free will. So our key passage, my key verse for today for you all is uh, two verses. It's Exodus 34 verses six through seven. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. And we'll get into that a little bit more because it almost seems like it contradicts itself, right? But real love does not allow sin. So there's consequences for sin. But the highlight here is God's faithful love, compassion. So God's character, the key truth, the key passage is Exodus 34, 6 and 7. The key truth is God's character is merciful, but also compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness, just like the verse says. So we're going to circle back after we dive into the introduction for the book of Exodus. When we get to the second half of Exodus, we'll dive back into this truth. We'll circle back to this truth and this verse and really break it down and understand what it means and learn more about the character of God. So just as we talked about in the book of Exodus, we've we've just come out of Genesis, right? So Genesis ended with Abraham's grandson, Jacob, leading about 70 family members down into Egypt. And then, like we said, Jacob's death. Joseph, who's Jacob's 11th son, who is second in command, saves his family and all the people and eventually dies. Exodus is Israel's exodus from Egypt as Genesis ends with the 
new pharaoh and things are about to take another turn for the worse. So we've basically come full circle and redemption is once again needed. This is about 400 years after Joseph and the previous pharaoh who put him second in command. So centuries have literally passed here. After nearly 400 years of growth in Egypt, the nation is no longer considered an infant nation of Israel, but a mature nation of Israel. And they're ready to leave behind their chains and find freedom. They seek homeland. They want a new homeland. So the story narrates the liberation of the nation of Israel from Egyptian captivity and the migration of God's new nation, this non-infant nation, into the wilderness of Sinai. Moses is a prominent figure. He's the great deliverer, announces 10 plagues that devastate all of Egypt as judgment for sin and rebellion to God. And then Moses leads the Israelites on the first part of their journey to the promised land. So that's a little breakdown of the entire book of Exodus. But Exodus is divided into two main parts. You've got Israel's Exodus from Egypt, which is chapters 1 through 18, and then the covenant of the law at Mount Sinai and the blueprint for the tabernacle, which is chapters 19 through 40. Some key concepts from Wilkinson and Boaz talk through the Bible, volume 1. Key concept idea is redemption. The nation is delivered. The people are redeemed. God's character is merciful. And I've added to that compassion, faithful, loving. God's role, deliverer, and God's command, let my people go. So in Genesis, if you recall, it was let there be, right? Light. Let the water separate from the land. Let there be. Now it's let my people go. That was God's command. Every episode of 66 Days, I will give you a chance to jot down some timeline key verses if you are not driving. So here are some timeline key verses from Exodus 4. You. There's a revelation from God, which is chapter 19, verse 1 through chapter 40, verse 38. Revelation from God is revealed through those chapters. The revelation of the covenant is revealed in chapter 19, verse 1 through chapter 31, verse 18. And then the response of Israel to the covenant, which is really important, their response to God, our response to God is always important, is chapter 32, verse 1 through chapter 40, verse 38. And then there's some important location references. There's 10 months at Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 through chapter 40 verse 38. But remember, I know there's, you're like, wait, there's 40 years in the desert. Mount Sinai was 10 months. And then there's 20 more days at Mount Sinai in the book of Numbers. Then there's almost 40 years in the wilderness in the book of Numbers, five months in the plains of Moab in Numbers, and then like another month in the plains of Moab in Deuteronomy. So there are 40 years in the desert. (laughs) But for what we're studying today, there's 10 months that are recorded in chapters 19 through chapter 40. And then there's kind of a common theme. There's two prominent themes, even though we talked about that there's God's character. There's a little sliver of information between some of the chapters in the second half of Exodus that really display God's character in spite of just horrible sin from the chosen nation. But there's two themes. There's redemption through the blood of the Passover and then deliverance in the Exodus from Egypt. And these two things kind of tie together. The redemption and deliverance take place through the shedding of blood and by God's power. And that's chapter 6, verse 6, chapter 15, verse 13, and chapter 16. And then there's also a reference in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8. But Exodus is written to portray the birth of Israel. It's meant to reveal the falsehood of idolatry whenever we're talking about Moses on Mount Sinai in the second half and the people down there building the golden calf. We'll talk more about that. And it's to signify the importance of obedience to God, right? You've got the people sinning against God after they've been delivered, after he saves them and redeems them through the Passover. They're down there sinning at the bottom of the mountain, creating idols. They're breaking the promises that they just made. And so there's a significant piece here about the importance of obeying God, especially when God 
God has chosen you. God has set you apart. It's also meant to introduce Yahweh's superiority over everything else and to demonstrate redemption under Moses' leadership, who also intercedes many times on behalf of the chosen people, including, which we'll talk more about, (laughs) when they're sinning at the bottom of Mount Sinai and breaking the covenant that they just promised to God to keep. Moses is once again interceding on their behalf in that exact moment when they're sinning. So keys to Exodus, some key verses are chapter 6, verse 6, chapter 19, verse 5 through 6, and then chapters 12 through 14, the entire Old Testament kind of culminates and moves towards the highest peak or climatical point in Exodus chapters 12 through 14, because it's Israel's salvation through the blood of the Passover, which if you remember, that's when God instructs the people to slaughter the animal and wipe the door or smear the blood on the outsides of the doors to save the people who obeyed and followed Yahweh's command, who obeyed God and put the blood outside of the doors. And anyone who did not received that death. So it's also through the power of the Red Sea. And it also marks the central event of the Old Testament, just like the cross of Christ represents the central event in the New Testament. These chapters 12 through 14 mark that central point, the central events of the Passover, salvation through the blood of the Passover, and then the power of redemption and freedom at the Red Sea. In Genesis, we talked about Christ in Genesis, and it it references the Messianic prophecies, which I talked about a little bit. And it's not just meaning a reference to the Messiah or prophetic mentioning of the Messiah. Remember how we talked about the Old Testament pointing to the New and the New Testament referencing back to the Old. Um, There aren't really a lot of Messianic prophecies in Exodus, but it does have many mentions of the types or portrayals of Christ throughout Exodus. So each time we cover a book, we'll try to see if there's Messianic prophecies based on, you know, reading the Bible and then reading what others like Wilkinson and Bo I have to say about their studies and, you know, just kind of tapping into all of the resources that we have. We'll see if we can find whether other scholars believe there's Messianic prophecies, whether we can find them ourselves, or if there's at least types or portrayals of Christ throughout each book. Moses would be one of the types or portrayals of Christ. And it's, you know, he's not a perfect person, right? He he murdered somebody in his life and God still used him. It's really a key to notice when your heart is turned to the Lord, right? And to see what, what happens and how God can use you when you're obeying exactly what he tells you to do, no matter how crazy, right? Noah's Ark, same thing. <laughs> can you imagine if God called you to build an ark today and how ridiculous that would seem? Although with the way things are going in the world, you never know, right? But some scholars believe that Moses represents a type of Christ. In Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, it says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, like unto me, that's important, unto him ye shall hearken. And since Moses and Christ are both prophets, priests, and some scholars refer to Moses also being a king because he functioned as the ruler over Israel, although he certainly didn't wear a crown and wasn't titled the king, you know, Jesus is the king of kings, there's no comparison there. But some scholars believe that they both represent prophet, priest, and king. Um, So even though Moses is not king by title, he represents a similar role or an applicable role. And then both Jesus and Moses are considered kinsmen redeemers. Um, They were both in danger during infancy. If you remember what happened to Jesus before his whole life story when he was an infant, he's being chased by Herod, right? And with Moses, it's, you know, oh my goodness, I'm always wondering about Moses' mother. When his life is endangered, it's about the horrible Pharaoh, right? Deciding to take autonomy again. And he's gotten so low that he's decided that killing children is okay, killing babies. I so wonder about the faith of Moses' mother. I I want to know so much more about the story. Do you ever wonder about her or wish there was more about her, her faith as a mother? I cannot imagine having to be in that position to put one of my babies in a basket on a river to save them from murder. I think an entire Bible study could be done on Moses' mother (laughs) and the kind of faith in God and releasing her baby to the river in order for him to live the life that God created. And I don't really know if she knew, 
you know, we don't really know if she knew or maybe we can find more about it. I haven't had time to study that specifically. Maybe it's there, but I have not seen or read recently or know about Moses' mother or her faith if she was doing it out of faith or fear and just taking that last resort and sticking him in a basket or if she had a relationship with God and believed in God and was releasing him to the river in faith and trusting God to save him. Unlike with Mary, the mother of Jesus, where we have a lot of details about God speaking directly to her and her being this, you know, incredibly godly type character person, we don't have a lot of details about Moses' mother, at least not that I've studied. Again, I can go back and look at that later. I may do that just for fun, (laughs) just so I can come back and tell you something. But what incredible faith if she was doing that out of an act of obedience to God. Either way, I cannot imagine if I had to do that with my own kids. Right now, we can't even decide if we need to give up certain tangible things like Netflix accounts or social medias or 10 years ago jeans that don't fit postpartum. Like, come on. (laughs) It's ridiculous, isn't it? The differences of what we struggle to give up. Um, But back to Jesus and Moses, both voluntarily renounced power, wealth, and are considered deliverers, mediators, and lawgivers. We all know how Jesus was the mediator between God and man and Moses between God and man also, right? One huge difference here is, of course, that Jesus was called as a sinless son of God who finished that act that allowed us contact with Father God, free of mediators, where we no longer need a mediator to talk to God today. Moses was born a sinner. And like I said, he did commit a murder in his lifetime. And, you know, this is what I find incredibly ironic because he was saved from murder as an infant. And he does murder as an adult man, the very same act that he was saved from as an infant, that God protected him in that basket on the Nile on the river. But he's still called to mediate on God's behalf for God's chosen people. He's still called to step in and act as a redeemer person and mediate between God and God's nation, God's chosen people. So this is why when God calls, we need to run to him. (laughs) We do not know the full big picture of God's purpose and plan through us. We don't always understand why these circumstances are happening to us, but we need to trust in who God is. We cannot change who God is, what we would not want to. Maybe we think we want to, but we certainly do not. There's nothing we can do to outmeasure God's incredible purpose and plan for our life. Now, this next part comes directly from Wilkinson and Boa's talk through the Bible. The other references, this is where I got the other types or portrayals of Christ uh, beyond Moses. There's the Passover, which marks Christ Jesus as our slain God and the Passover lamb, right? Christ is slain. Here they slay a lamb. Earlier I said animal to lamb. They slay a lamb. The blood goes on the door. God protected the people within the door that obeyed, which is where that following through and demonstrating obedience to God is always vital. Then they talk about the seven feasts and Wilkinson and Boaz talk through the Bible. All of the feasts demonstrate an aspect of Christ's ministry under the authority and direction of God. They talk about the Exodus and Paul relates, this is where they relate the baptism to the events of Exodus because of putting off the old and putting on the new, right? Putting on the new man, renewed, redeemed people of God. So Paul relates baptism to the events in Exodus. And then you've got manna and water. This one is kind of common because in the New Testament, both manna and water are related to Christ in a lot of different ways. And then the tabernacle, there's so many details, right? Color, furniture, specific arrangement. It's all meant to speak of Christ and Christ's redemption. There's a development from suffering, blood, and death. And I'm paraphrasing Wilkinson and Boa to beauty, holiness, and ultimately God's glory. It's a physical form. It's everything in there is tangible, right? But it's meant with a theological purpose and power. And then they mention the high priest. 
And this is known to represent in many ways the ministries of Christ, like they say, paraphrasing, like overshadowing it. Um, Our Christ, who is our great high priest, there's so many things about the high priest in the tabernacle that are related to Christ and overshadow the life of Christ. So Exodus contributes to the Bible in so many ways. And again, this is taken from Wilkinson and Boa. But hugely, it's due to the fact that this is the foundation for Israel, which is God's chosen people. In many of the historical ways, they practiced the Mosaic law, the sacrificial system that governed and even priesthood. It's also where they learned originally about who God is, like his presence, what it meant when he was present, even if Moses is mediating and what his ways were. God's like, here's my ways. He gives them the Ten Commandments. Here's a set of laws for you to follow. Do you agree? Yes, we do. Right? The answer was always quick. It provides the framework for the rest of the Old Testament and is referred to as the heart of the Old Testament, according to Wilkinson and Boa. Scholars have named the book of Exodus as basically demonstrating God's greatest saving acts, greatest redemptive works, and power before Christ coming in the New Testament. Christ is obviously one of the greatest things. He is the greatest. He was the greatest saving factor, but there's scholars are saying that the, the book of Exodus demonstrates this through God prior to Christ's coming. It demonstrates saving acts and redemptive works, powerful works before he sent his son. All right, so let's start with the first part of Exodus, which is chapters 1 through 18. The focal point on Israelites' exodus from Egypt is found in these chapters. We have some additional focus points. We've got one, Pharaoh's heart hardened by God and hardened by himself. And there's a big difference between these two different concepts of hardening a heart that are important to pay attention to, where he hardens it himself or versus where it says God hardened his heart. And there was a purpose in that. But the main thing to understand here is that Pharaoh is a picture that represents total rebellion, total defiance to Almighty God, disobedience. And then the second thing is Moses, who represents obedience to God. And then that final piece is God's faithfulness to the nation, that little sliver I told you about that's kind of stuck between those last chapters. Some timeline key verses, which I was able to kind of compare in what my own studies pulled up. I compared it to Wilkinson and Boa. Wilkinson and Boa's talk through the Bible volume one kind of confirms what I pulled up through scripture as far as timeline. Um, Theirs is a little bit more organized, so I'm kind of just combining what I found and using their timeline. So they've got redemption from Egypt, which is chapter one, verse one through chapter 18, verse 27. And this is the redemption from Egypt, which is under subjection of Egyptian reign and rule. There's a need for redemption, chapter one, verse one through verse 22. Preparation for redemption is chapter two, verse one through chapter four, verse 31. The redemption of Israel is chapter five, verse one through chapter 15, verse 21. And the preservation of Israel is chapter 15, verse 22 through chapter 18, verse 27. There's some important location references. Egypt is chapter one, verse one through chapter 13, verse 16. There's a timeline of about 430 years. The wilderness starts in chapter 13, verse 17 through chapter 18, verse 27. Remember, two months, but everyone knows there was 40 years. So of course, I'm not trying to lead you off the truth of the timeline here. (laughs) Prior to the 10 more months at Mount Sinai in the experience with the Ten Commandments later in Exodus or the second half and continued throughout the book of Leviticus. There's another 38 years and three months and 10 days in the wilderness in the book of Numbers. So let's start with chapters one through four. This is where Pharaoh tries to destroy Israel because they are fruitful and multiply and fill the land. Chapter one, verse seven. He does not see them as they were predicted in Genesis chapter one, verse 28, where God blesses all of humanity when they chose sin and forfeited God's blessing. He does not view Israel as a blessing. He does not see God's promise through Abraham of blessing and using his seed in generations. That's Genesis 17 verse 1 through 6. Pharaoh sees Israel as this immigrant population or group that is a threat to his power. And since he's creating autonomy for himself, like we talked about in the book of Genesis, where Adam and Eve did the same thing, deciding what's good and evil, he's going to try to destroy 
destroy God's source of blessing, which is the Israelites. He brutally destroys, he brutally enslaves them. And this is where he has now decided that it's okay to kill babies. And Pharaoh is instructing all the baby boys to be drowned in the Nile River, which is his attempt to save himself. And he's in complete rebellion against God. His kingdom epitomizes humanity's rebellion. He has redefined what's evil, what's good, out of self-interest, out of self-protection, out of self-survival, just like we talked about with Adam and Eve, right? They decided what was good and evil based on how they felt. Egypt is now basically worse than Babylon, right? Murder of children, murder of babies is now okay. So Israel's crying out for salvation. Then we hit chapters 5 through 15. There's a confrontation between God and Pharaoh. So we have all these chapters... Um, 10 chapters where we hit the story of Moses in the basket on the Nile River, the burning bush. This is where Pharaoh's heart is hardened by God and by himself on different occasions. There's a confrontation between God and Pharaoh. And when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, you need to read that carefully again, just like I said, between the times when he's hardening his own heart versus when God hardens it. And that he finally hits this point where he, his own advisors, his own counselors think that he has gone completely mad and they're starting to question him, at least inside of their minds. (laughs) And then you hit this point of basically no return. The Passover portrays the redemptive story. Um, There's blood on the doors by the people that are obeying God. And here's where we see God's justice and mercy, right? He's willing to save those who obey. He's willing to save. And this is before the coming of Christ. There's another one-time salvation plan now because of Jesus Christ, where all who believe, all who obey, all who choose Jesus are saved. This is something that happened in the Old Testament to save those who obeyed before the coming of Christ. And ultimately, Pharaoh is compelled to let the Israelites go because there's all these plagues, right? And he can't handle it. And he, so many times throughout the story, he says, okay, fine, you can go. And all this time, Moses is going back and forth, interceding on behalf of the people between God and Pharaoh. And there's a point where Moses gets frustrated and questions God. and But he continues to do what God's calling him to do ultimately and obeys and goes back to Pharaoh again and again and again. There's 10, this is where we see the 10 plagues of Egypt. Pharaoh's heart continues to harden. He hardens it himself. God hardens it other times for specific purposes. And the end, he can't handle it. The last straw is when Pharaoh's son dies. He does not put blood on the door. He does not obey. His son dies. But even after he says, all right, I don't care. Go, get out, get off my land. Then he still takes autonomy one more time and chases them down with the chariots. And that's where we see the song of the sea, the freedom. And here's the verse from that. We all know the story, those of us that have read it, where Pharaoh's chasing them down and Moses uses his staff to obey God and hold his staff, part the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through. And as soon as Pharaoh's chariots start charging through, God closes the sea and all the chariots and horses and men go under. Here's that passage. It's Exodus chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. They said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. He has thrown the horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He threw Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea the elite of his officers were drowned in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Lord, your right hand is glorious in power. Lord, your right hand shattered the enemy. You overthrow your adversaries by your great majesty. You unleashed your burning wrath. It consumed them like stubble. The water heaped up at the blast from your nostrils. The current stood firm like a dam. The watery depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire will be 
gratified at their expense. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? And that brings us to the end of that part of the chapter. Can you imagine praying a prayer like that? That's the song of the sea. That's freedom. That's that freedom chant. That's that freedom prayer that coming from that place of a free heart, a free body, no longer enslaved. Can you imagine going from that to creating a golden calf that you worshiped and praised for your freedom over the God that you saw with your physical eyes save you? You felt his presence. You saw his power at the Red Sea. You saw his redemption and his faithfulness at the Passover protecting you from death. That's where we hit chapters 19 through 40. So we've come full circle. We have been freed. Now we're at the section of the scriptures where the covenant at Mount Sinai is given to Moses, right? So the focus is on recording God's instructions here in these books on Mount Sinai. It's for directing the worship life of the nation, God's chosen people, but it's more so on the nature and character of God. So that verse that I told you, our key verse, compassion, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. That's Exodus 34 verse 6. So So following the disobedience of the first two commandments, right? That's what's happening. They have reached Mount Sinai. Moses is at the top of the mountain. He's receiving commandments. They've already promised the first two at this point. God's literally given them, here's the law. This is what I want for you to do. This is what you need to obey. And they agreed wholeheartedly. And at the bottom of the mountain, they're literally sinning. (laughs) So we're going to kind of go through the steps. Let's start back at, you know, the covenant at Mount Sinai. Let's start there at the beginning. So now we've hit chapters 19 through 40. This is where we receive the blueprints for the tabernacle and all those beautiful details. This is where we see God's nature and character. So again, that verse is Exodus 34 verses 6 through 7. God's character, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. So following the disobedience of the first two commandments while the ceremony is still happening, that people are worshiping other gods, right? This is where Moses has to intercede on God's behalf again. God's faithfulness that brought them out of Egypt is the same faithfulness that Moses is tapping into. And again, a reminder verse of who God is and what he did is chapter 20 verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the place of slavery. God's faithfulness forgives again and again and again the nation as a whole even though there are consequences for worshiping idols like verse 7 of our life verse today of our Exodus 34 6 and 7. 7 is that part where there are consequences but God's faithfulness is still there. It's because he's faithful and loving that there's consequences for sin or there is no direction into what's right. So here we are at the covenant of Mount Sinai. Moses leads the people to the foot of the mountain. And we see God's promise to Abraham from Genesis chapters 12, 15, and 17, where God's blessing to all nations. If Israel obeys the law of the covenant, they would become kingdoms of priests. That's chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, leading all other generations of people to God and his ways. So Israel accepts gladly. Moses goes up to the mountain. God is basically providing the basic terms of the covenant in the form of the Ten Commandments. This is how God and the people are meant to relate to each other. That's chapters 20 through 23. The Ten Commandments are preceded by another 52 other commands um, that are also about Israel, their worship, uh, social justice, like we talked about earlier, how they're meant to live together differently from other nations leading the way. Moses brings the commandments down and the people of God agree again really quickly. And as soon as the people enter this first part of the covenant with God, God takes it to another level, right? In the manner of the sanctuary where he wants his holy presence to kind of come and be there among the people. And this is God's presence made accessible, right? This is still, again, before the coming of Jesus 
Jesus Christ, where we can now access after Christ, the presence of God any moment of the day. So now we have access to God after the coming of Jesus Christ. There are seven full chapters of detailed design, architectural design, architectural structure in chapters 25 through 31, this sacred tent, this blueprint um, called the tabernacle. There's an outer courtyard with an altar. And then in the center of that outer courtyard, there's a tent that has an outer room and an inner room. And then inside of the inner room, the Holy of Holies or the most holy space, there's a golden box that is called the Ark of the Covenant. And it's got like these angel-like or angelic-like creatures over the top of the golden box. And this is like the focal point of God's presence, representing God's presence. And there's just, there's so much detail like we talked about. Every, literally every single thing has symbolic purpose and meaning that is significant to God, who he is, and dating actually all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God and man lived together before the fall of man. It's kind of representing God and man and what the new relationship is with God and man right now at this time in at Mount Sinai. Then Israel breaks the covenant. And this is where I said earlier that we would revisit God's character. Well, Moses is up on the mountain again, getting the instructions, right? AKA the blueprints from God for the tabernacle. This is after they've already said, yes, we agree. Yes, we're excited. The Israelites are already breaking the first two covenants of the law down at the bottom of the mountain. They're so impatient. Um, they somehow managed to get Moses' brother Aaron to make a golden cast. Can you imagine Moses' brother, the brother of the guy that's leading them and standing in as a figure of redeeming race, making a golden statue to worship? And not only do they make a golden statue to worship, they're thanking this thing for their freedom from slavery. Like they were just not that long ago at the sea, singing that song of the sea of freedom and praising God for saving them from physical, mental, and spiritual slavery. And here they are worshiping a golden cow. It sounds as bad as it is. It's unbelievable that they not only break this exact covenant that they just made with God, but that they're also thanking this thing for their freedom that belongs to God Almighty. They're stealing from God. This is where God basically allows Moses into his thought process for a little bit and he is ready to just wipe Israel out completely. And so Moses intercedes and this is where we see God's character. He's asking God on behalf of Israel who also is the God that promised Abraham. And in Genesis 15 verses 1 through 6, this is what was said. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. And so this was God's promise to Abraham and Moses is basically tapping into God's character and appealing on behalf of these sinful nation of God, these sinful people disobeying God again. Here we are sinning against him, breaking the thing we just promised. And Moses is appealing to God's nature and saying, God, if you break this covenant with them and destroy them, imagine what they're going to think. So in this intercession, God accepts Moses' intercession on their behalf. And so while there are consequences for those directly who disobeyed, who built the calf and got this whole sin and rebellion thing going, God chooses as a whole to forgive the nation. Overall, he forgives and renews his covenant that he promised Abram all those years ago, right? His chosen people. He forgives them again. God tells Moses who he is. And this is where we circle back to that key verse. He is all of those things, but also he will address wickedness and it can't go unpunished. So since God's on a mission to rescue his people, he cannot be content letting them sit in self-destruction. It's the same reason we have consequences today for sin and disobedience. Scripture by definition of both the meaning of God's anger and wrath, as well as that of his mercy, compassion, love, faithfulness, they have to demonstrate
demonstrate a balance. Rather than that hot anger seething unjustly, we've got God's compassion, love, peace. Anger and judgment happen to be important themes throughout scripture. It does not mean by literal definition when you take time to search these words and definitions from Hebrew and Greek that God's more hot-tempered than he is loyal and loving or that he is out of line or unjust. He is just, he is faithful, he is slow to anger, but there are consequences for sin. Otherwise, he's not demonstrating his love for us. Wickedness cannot go unpunished. Today, it's still true. God's anger is not evil or sin. Above all, God is faithful. After forgiving the people, Moses gets the go-ahead to build the tabernacle, and we have another five long chapters after that, chapters 35 through 40, of all the great details and design and structure and specifications. God's presence fills the tabernacle, and the story ends with Moses going up to the tabernacle to enter, but he can't get in. And if you think about this, it's like, oh my gosh, he led the people. He he obediently served God. And even though he was human at moments, he followed through and committed. And now here we are at the tabernacle. God's presence fills the place and then Moses can't get in. So it makes sense though, because God's chosen nation has broken and damaged this relationship with God. He's like, here's what the relationship between you and me looks like. Here's what you have to obey. We agree. We break the agreement. God's faithful and loving and forgives us again. And because of that damaged relationship, we've come full circle, right? Again, Exodus began with Pharaoh's evil threatening God's people and God's covenant promise with Abraham and that event happening. And now here we are at the end of Exodus. Israel has become their own worst enemy. Their own sin now threatens the covenant of God's people. God saved them and they're threatening themselves and their own freedom. I love the book of Exodus because it reminds me to focus on truths about God. And that's what the whole 4 is all about is focusing on what's real and true. And he is our redeemer and we are redeemed daily, moment by moment when we sin, when we make mistakes, when I get angry, when I freak out. A lot of you know some of my story and how I have tried to tap into that and find out what it is that causes me to feel anger, stress. I've dealt with anger throughout my life and I'm learning to just give full control to the Lord. And I still struggle sometimes. I'm not perfect, but I claim that truth of God, who he is for me. And it's so important to me to dive back into the arms of God every single time I stumble because I know who he is and he knows me. And so we've all, again, just like I said, when we did Genesis, when we studied the book of Genesis together, we've all got our favorite stories and even our favorite bedtime stories for kids, right? But the importance here is God's redemption, unfailing love and faithfulness to all mankind, all humankind throughout our fall, throughout our sin, throughout our unfaithfulness to God. He is the redeemer, just as J.R.'s book says, he is the savior. And then we have this incredible underlying theme of God's character. So we've got this importance of God's redemption, the theme of God's character. I want to remind you of our key verses and key facts and key truths in closing. Exodus 13, 3, remember this day when you came out of Egypt, that place of slavery, the Lord God brought you out here by the strength of his hand and God is the one who delivers me from slavery. That's our key fact from J.R.'s book. Our key verse was Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. The Lord passed in front of him, talking about Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, that's who you call me. I'm the Lord, the Lord. I am compassionate. I am a gracious God. I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding, which means overflowing and faithful love, which means loyal love and truth, maintaining faithful love to thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity, forgiving sin, forgiving rebellion. And then there is that promise that because of his great love for us, sin will not go unpunished. There will be consequences and it is generational. The key point of focus from Exodus is again, God is the redeemer from bondage and slavery. God frees us from slavery and bondage now. God is faithful and unchanging. We continue to make some of the same errors. We change sometimes walking outside of God's will and design. The character of God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyalty 
loyalty, love, and faithfulness. So what do you think about all that? (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Um, It was just, it was incredible studying the book of Exodus. If you haven't read through it yourself in a long time or ever, I recommend that you go back in there and just dive through those chapters and read through them, read and listen to the words and ask God to speak to you because ultimately that's really how it works the best. When you get in the presence of God and you study the Bible for yourself and you ask God to speak to you, he does speak to you. It's because of Jesus coming in the New Testament, God's son, not Moses mediating, Jesus mediating, Jesus dying on the cross and saving us that we have direct access to God. We can talk to him anytime we want. We don't need a mediator. We don't need a Moses now. (laughs) We had a Jesus. Um, Next time on the 66 days, the book of Leviticus. Exodus ends with Moses unable to enter due to this damaged relationship with the chosen people and God. Leviticus begins with God beginning to find a solution to this problem. (laughs) And the problem is that the Israelites have created for themselves and the covenant by their sin and disobedience and breaking God's law and commands. What is true, my people? What is true? God delivers us from slavery. God keeps his word and his promises. God still delivers us from slavery and bondage today. God is unchanging and still provides the same level of abundant compassion, gracious, slow to anger, overflowing loyalty and love and faithfulness. Obedience to God is essential in the Christian walk as demonstrated in the book of Exodus and in the punishments for disobeying God's covenant and the law for his people. It's our job to reach out to the God who is near, who is gracious and receive his love, his mercy and his grace. I don't know about you, but this book was very eye-opening to me and I just absolutely loved tearing it apart. I may circle back and do a brief little study on the character of God and understanding more about God's character. And in that study, I may pop back to Pharaoh's hardening of his heart versus God hardening his heart so that we have a better understanding of that because of the timeline. I did not have time to dig deeper into that, but I would love to know more about that as well as Moses' mother and see if there's anything else about her. If you find something, reach out, let me know. I love to hear from you guys. (laughs) Thank you again to those of you who have just walked up somewhere randomly or messaged and said that this is a blessing to you. It's speaking to your heart. Studying the Bible and studying scripture and studying works like Wilkinson and Boas (laughs) and using it as a guide to confirm references that I'm finding for myself. It's incredible when you're trying to speak about something because I'm learning so much more about verses and chapters that I've read hundreds of times growing up and more as an adult when I was diving into scripture for myself. But I have circled over these verses so many times and I'm learning something brand new when I'm trying to present it to all of you to hear God is really speaking to my heart and talking to me about my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm I'm just loving it. I love it so much. So thank you for participating in this with me and thank you for the feedback. I love you guys so much. I just want to pray for you as we go. It's a closing. Heavenly Father, gracious God, thank you so much for my listeners, for family and friends. Thank you so much for touching people's hearts to come back and say, hey, I love what you're talking about. Thank you, God, for giving me that message. Thank you for your word that gives me something to even talk about. Thank you that you are real and true. God, you are compassionate and loving and faithful. You're loyal when we sin. When I mom fail, when I'm angry at my kids, when I wake up feeling angry and I don't even know why I'm angry, you are faithful. You speak to my heart when I talk to you, when I say, God, what's wrong with me today? I don't even know. (laughs) Please help me. You're always there. I may not hear 
something right away, but I know that your word is true. I know that you're real and true. And I thank you for that. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would bless all those listening, bless their lives, draw them closer to you and to your loving, compassionate, and faithful embrace. Speak to their hearts, speak truth to them, encourage them, and give them grace for whatever is happening today. Give them grace to walk through their today. Give me grace to walk through my today. We love you so much and we thank you for your wonderful mercy, your compassion, and thank you for sending your son Jesus as a finished work so that we no longer need a mediator. Thank you for freedom from slavery and bondage. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Well, that brings us to the end of the book of Exodus on 66 days through the Bible books. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Be sure to check out the show notes. I will be listing a lot of the timeline key verses from today, as well as referencing our focal points of God's compassion and redemption, freedom from slavery, and our key verses from the book of Exodus will be in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for joining me on the study on the book of Exodus here on the Well for Goodness Sake podcast. This is 66 Days Through the Bible Books, and today we covered the book of Exodus, learning all about God's compassion and faithful love to his chosen people in the midst of sin, God's redemption of his chosen people from slavery, and just a whole lot more about God's character and love. Be sure to check out the show notes. I'm going to be listing a lot of the timeline key verses from today, as well as our key verses and focal points from today's study in Exodus. There's also links in there to the podcast episodes. You can listen to 66 days. You can listen to all episodes in a row, or you can check out the link that will lead you directly to real life chats where we had one guest speaker so far. I'm so glad to have you back. This is episode two on season two, if I didn't make that clear, episode number 12 on the podcast, but season two, 66 days through the Bible books, episode two, the book of Exodus. Next week on 66 days, we'll be going into the book of Leviticus. So stay tuned for that. In the show notes, I will also be listing there the link to the social media platform and ways to stay connected with Well for Goodness Sake and myself, the host, Joe Fuentes-Lita. If you want to reach out at any point, I'll have all of that information in the show notes. I hope that you all have a blessed and wonderful day. I love you and it's all because of him.